we've been talking about it's the gospel that distinguishes the people of God. It's the gospel that makes people different. As Betty said, a bit of a review, uh, the truth, what, what Jesus has given us in the truth, the biblical truth, is it makes the gospel critical and it makes it powerful. And it needs to shape our experiences, not the other way around. We can't allow our experiences to shape the gospel, but the gospel must shape our experiences. And Jesus wants us to gain and become a people of experiences that were, that were formed in the gospel. And what we looked at, and we looked in Acts chapter 5, where uh, the disciples were arrested uh, for, for speaking the truth, speaking the gospel, Uh, In that, they were beaten, they were tortured, and they found that uh, a reason to celebrate. You see how their experience was transformed by the truth, not the other way around. Instead of saying, wow, I I served God and, you know, he let me get beat up. Uh, That was a bad experience. I'll think twice before I do that. Instead of that being what was said, what was experienced, their experience was transformed by the gospel. We see in Scripture that the gospel is, is called the new life. It's not the old life differently. It's not the old life on steroids. It's not the old life with a better path. It's not the old life with a new mojo. It is a new life. It's a different life, a new life. It was was formed out of a death that overcame death. The gospel was so powerful that it has the ability to generate new life. And we read that in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 And for all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism in death. And in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So very often believers fail to enter the new life. I think think believers can be some of the most defeated people on the planet. Because they try to serve a new supernatural God. They try to live a, 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 um, an order of life. Or they try to live a standard of life that is impossible. They live in guilt. They live in shame. They live with hidden parts of their life. And, and their testimony is non-existent. That might be most of the church. It's because they have not experienced the new life. When the, when the song we sang, stand in awe and worship, most of us don't really have a story that makes us stand, much less be in awe. Because we haven't entered into that new life. We haven't pressed into that life that was purchased in the gospel. These guys in chapter 5, when the angel broke them out of jail supernaturally, it wasn't to rescue them, it was to rescue the message. He was rescuing the message. What was in prison was the message. And what God did is went into that prison and got the message out. He said, now, go give the message of the new life. And they said, yes. 
And they went out and they spoke that message. And when they said, shut up, don't talk about that, they said, you, you got nothing here. We're, God said give the message, we're going to give the message. All right, so we're going to beat you and flog you. Cool. Just like you did Jesus, bring it. That'll just be more experience for our message. You see, beating didn't change the new life. Are you excited about your new life? Is it transforming your thinking? Is it capturing your thoughts, your ideals, your friendships? You know, years ago, I'd been a Christian about a year. That was really a long time ago. You know, it's early afternoon. I'm driving down a road, sunshiny day like today. And this guy, you know, he kind of looked like a redneck. He's in this pickup. He almost runs me off the road. I'm like, what's up with this guy? And he's waving his hands and waving his arms, and he won't leave me alone. And so I'm like, what is the deal here with this guy? So I'm trying to get out of his way, but he is after me. And finally, I pull over to the side of the road. You might think, wow, Bill, you're really stupid, or you're really brave. No one knows. Anyway, so I pull over to the side of the road. I get out of my truck. He gets out of his truck. He's coming toward me big smile on his face. He said, hey, man, I just wanted to meet you. I'm a Christian too. I had a Christian bumper sticker on my truck. He wanted to meet me. He wanted to talk to his brother in Christ. He was so excited to see my truck. He almost ran me off the road to have that opportunity to say, give me a hug, brother. So we're on the side of the road talking about Jesus. He's a guy that stood in awe of his new life. He's a guy that when he recognized the new life anywhere else, he wanted to join that and celebrate He's a guy that could light up a sleepy congregation. He's a guy that can light up a road, maybe kill people, I don't know. But his heart was excited about the new life. And you see, that changed everything about him. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, Verse 13, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, Peter is making a little bit of an assumption about the believer. He's making an assumption that your life has the appearance of hope. I mean, you have enough hope going for you that people see it and it raises a question with them. We brought this up last week. How many of us are in that situation ever? 
Tell me about why you're so excited. Why are you so happy? You see, the guy on the side of the road, I am sure that he was asked about his hope all the time. Or many of us. Man, what's up with you today? Oh, you know, this happened, that happened. Man, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm just in a bad mood. Oh, what, what, what's up, man? Whatever. What, what's the deal? Why are you acting like such a whatever word you put there? You see, none of that looks like the gospel. None of that is evidence of the new life. And when we operate there, the world is helpless to see anything. And we are not experiencing anything. The gospel, as we talked about, affects the life. It's an affected life. And it's characterized by things that people will see that people will experience by being around you. You want to walk up and say, I'm a believer, except to explain why you're not angry, why you're not hateful, why you're not resentful, why you don't despise people, why you're not greedy, why you're not arrogant. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the life, the new life, is going to be love, joy, peace. We're going to live above day to day. The new life is living above day to day. I want to say that again. The new life is living above the day to day. If we're not above the day to day, we are not experiencing the gospel. It's just you're not doing it. You're not there. The gospel represents humanity differently, and it gives the world an alternative that it desperately is looking for. The gospel is always hopeful. Always. God's people should always have an appeal to the world, even if they don't like us. Even if they kill us, they should always be challenged by what they experience and see through us. Do they see a life they admire? Do they see a life that attracts them, that looks simpler? Do they see a life that has what I'm going to call a secret quality, quality that they cannot understand, a quality that they cannot get their arms around, and they have to ask you, what's your story? We shared a bit on this last week, but I want to I pull some more out of it. It's above today. Uh, it's about today. I'm sorry. Uh, Go to the next one. One and two are backwards. It is about the life to come. But when we call it just the gift of eternal life, we're missing the very point of what it is. 
eternal life is just a byproduct. It's just resultant of being in right relationship with the Father. It's being restored into the life and the presence of the Father. The Father is eternal, and we were created to be eternal with him. The fall broke that. The fall broke the relationship, which, which brought death into our life. But it was not the reality that all we were trying to get back is to live forever. When you talk to most Christians, they can't even get their arms around that. They're not even comfortable with it. What am I going to do forever? Man, if I'm just going to do this all day long, like forever, for eternity, like, I can't really get into that. That's, that's not, your whole life should worship the Father. It's not about raising your hands or falling on your knees. It's about a life that is connected with the Father. It glorifies him. I think in heaven, here's the way I see it. I've really, I've never had the opportunity to take off and land from an aircraft carrier. Kind of something I want to do. I think heaven might have that opportunity for me. Now, you might say, why would there be warships in heaven? It doesn't have to be a warship. It can be just a runway on water. I don't really care. I think God will say, go drive an airplane off a runway. I don't, I don't care what you do. Enjoy. We're together. It's not just about the life to come. That's an empty, empty way to live this life. Number two, go backwards. It's about the life to come, but it's also about today. It's about your life changing. And, and we can pray hard, and we can work hard to change. But at the end of the day, the gospel is really not about, most of the time what we're doing is praying about our circumstances. Not really about our change. I want a better job. I need my wife to be a better person to me. I want more sex. I, I want this. I want that. I want to stop being addicted to this or that. We, we have a litany of requests. I think they're all good. They're great. But the truth is, the gospel is not about changing the circumstances. It's about changing you. It's about changing me. Uh, go forward, too, and you'll find that. It's about us changing and in us changing, then our circumstances cease to have the power to dictate what the experience is about. You see, that is the freedom. It's when our circumstances are no longer dictating. You know... Um, We shared a little bit last week uh, something that's kind of hit me. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but what we find about joy is 
the joy of the Lord is about me. You see, kindness, that's about you. From me, it's about you. Patience, long-suffering, gentleness, the joy is about me. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect other people around me, but what it says is, it's about me, you know. I get the joy. We so easily write off joy as just another emotion, one that sometimes is appropriate when our circumstances are joyous. But when our circumstances suck, all of a sudden, we can totally validate that joy might even be inappropriate. But joy is robbed all the time because we surrender it. What we see is, actually, Jesus declares that joy was given to him by the Holy Spirit. And we see in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, 6 through 8, you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of your severe suffering, joy. In the middle of your severe suffering, not just suffering, We're not talking about an ankle sprain. We're talking severe suffering. And you experience joy. Where did it come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in your circumstances, you needed something more powerful than the circumstance. Jesus did not take the severe suffering away. What he did is in the middle of it, he gave them joy. And what you'll realize is that the world takes notice of you when in your circumstances that are difficult, you are different. Anybody can look great when it's great. But when you're suffering, when you're struggling, when your circumstances are unjust, when you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're lustful, When you're broke, do you have joy? He says, you became models to believers in Macedonia, Achaia. The Lord's message, look at this, the new life message. It rang out from you, not only in these two cities, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. A joy and suffering got a lot of mileage the way God intended. So that's joy is given by the Holy Spirit. Joy and suffering. Now joy in unjust circumstances. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, you suffered along with those in prison and you joyfully accept, accepted the confiscation of your property. Is that you? Is it me? You see, that person is experiencing the gospel in the moment. And the world will take notice of the gospel when they see it 
in and on people. In a book, nobody's going to care about it. In a pamphlet, in a slogan, nobody's going to care. It means nothing. In a Christmas card, on a billboard, means nothing. Most of the time, it doesn't even mean anything to Christians. But when people genuinely see it in and on a person, it begs for an answer. Do we have that clip? Uh, this is a little boy. What he chooses to do in his grief and his injustice. In 1 Peter, verse 7, these have, uh, verse 7 through 9, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, these are trials, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, I was asked this week, I was talking to someone about this and about the pursuit of joy. But I'm beginning to see that joy becomes a critical part of the gospel in our everyday life. Because joy can challenge circumstances in the moment. So this person asked me, give me an example of that. I said, okay, I'll give you one from a couple of hours ago. I'm at my house, and I'm, I've got a, you know, decent-sized compressor that's got two wheels on it. And I'm pulling it through the house because I need to get some air to the other side. I'm talking to my wife on the phone. I'm multitasking poorly. And, uh, and I do my best to move the air hose so that the wheel doesn't catch on the air hose and the wheel indeed catches on the air hose. So as I'm talking to her and I'm trying to pull and I'm trying to push the air hose, I get the air hose out of the way. But the air hose, because it loops around, it looped around to the other wheel and it got in front of the other wheel. So then I have to get that out of the way. So I get that out of the way and then the electric cord got in the way. And so I did this four or five times. My normal response at this moment is something I learned from my boss years ago when I worked in a garage. It's not a good response. But my boss would be working on a car, and he'd have all these wrenches uh, on the fenders, and the car's maybe running a little rough, and these wrenches are vibrating, and one by one they're kind of falling into the engine cavity. And he would get angry, and then he would just take all his wrenches and start throwing them all in the engine cavity. And then he'd say, there. Now nothing else is going to fall. That's what came into my mind. I'm just going to throw all the hose and electrical cord and everything else I can find under the wheels. We'll just get it over with. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit caught me. Do you want to surrender your joy over this? I didn't. I told my wife, 
wife. I'm multitasking poorly. I love you, and I will call you later. And I get off the phone, and I thank the Lord. I thank him. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for my circumstances. I thank you for your joy that fills my life in all moments. I thank you that it's powerful to rescue me in every circumstance, in every moment. And I enter into your joy. And I was just filled in that moment. That's the gospel. That's it right there. That little moment. See, it's a moment most of us, we would surrender it in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even think about it. We'd be angry, we'd be frustrated. We'd be whatever we want to be. We'd give up. But you see, that is the heartbeat. That is the throb of the gospel, that moment right there. That's where the gospel has to be real. That's where we have to call on the gospel, that moment. Because if we surrender that one, we will surrender others. And when we surrender those moments over and over again, we surrender the gospel. The gospel has to be powerful enough to meet me right there in that moment. Now, you might think of that, wow, that's a really simple moment for you to kind of, you know, pull out your razor blade for your wrist, Bill. But it's not about how far I'm willing to go. It's about surrendering the power of the gospel, what it does for you every day, every moment. Its power is there to make you new and different. We must enter into that. There is an active peace. You see, I had to choose joy. I had to invite the Holy Spirit, and I had to choose joy. It didn't just, you know, creep up on me and hit me in the head. It was a choice I made. And in that choice, I had joy. I had peace. I had air where I needed it. I talked last week about the tale of two testimonies. Many of us don't have this giant testimony where you were an axe murderer, God saved, you were this drug dealer, uh, you know, you were a human trafficker. What, whatever it is, you don't have that story. You're clean cut. You've never said the word doo-doo. What, whatever it is, you know, you're just a different cut. But you see, your gospel message is not diminished. The world, although there may be a little shock and awe around one of these big testimonies, the truth is what people need to see is how the everyday practical life can be transformed by the gospel. And I assure you that everybody who has been rescued from drugs or from murder or from molestation and all those things, all those dynamic testimonies, every one of them had to learn the power of the gospel in the moment. Every one of them, their, their, their testimony could not stop at just the deliverance from something big. They had to learn to live every day. The gospel had to become powerful every day. Or I tell you, they will go back.
The world is looking for people who live in the transforming power of the gospel. And you won't have to tell them it's the gospel. They'll know. They may not know what it is. But they'll know there's something different. And that's your chance and mine to say, what's different about me is I have the joy of Jesus. Jesus is a real part of my everyday life. And he gives me joy. And he gives me peace. And he gives me love. And when my friends reject me, when my, my boss rejects me, when my loved ones reject me, he never rejects me. He's always safe. He's always there. We experience the gospel. We hear the gospel. We speak the gospel. We do the gospel. You have to enter into doing the gospel. It is an active thing that we enter into in the moment. It brings us to Matthew chapter 13. And it's a parable that will be familiar to many of you. Um, It's the parable of the sower. If you don't know what a sower is, it's a planter, someone who plants. And this is uh, the first 23 verses. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's a lot, but Ms. Karina here is going to tell us the story, and then we'll go from there. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thank you. Jesus was giving a number of stories about the kingdom of God. And when he tells this story, And then his disciples come over to him and they say, hey, why don't you explain that story? You see, Jesus is talking about message of a new life, an understanding of the kingdom being revealed. Are you looking for that? You see, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. 
Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That sounds like a cruel message, but you have to understand the context. Who he's talking to is the people who stayed after the message. Explain the message, Jesus. That's the people. It isn't the 12 disciples. It was whoever wanted to know, whoever stuck around to get the unabridged version of the story. Are you seeking, are you looking for the story of God? Are you satisfied with walking away with not understanding it? He gives this description or or, uh, helps us, uh, he gives this explanation of the story. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So we get these different, there are four different kind of visuals, if you will, of what happens to the seed based on the soil. And this is falling on the hard-packed path. So when they hear the message, but they don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. If you don't understand the message, and you let it sit there, the enemy will take it away. You won't have to wait long. It won't be something that you've misunderstood very long. The enemy will take it away. If you do not pursue understanding the Lord, you probably won't understand him. You see, that's that part we do. He gives another uh, example of soil. It's called the rocky ground. This is in verse 20. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the challenge is, have you developed roots? And this is really an ongoing connection with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Have roots formed? Or did you just stop? Have roots formed? And what he says is, when this new life begins to cost you something, but you, you have not rooted yourself in Jesus, we will see the cost is too much. That's when the word cramps your life. The third one, I call it, is your life too busy with other opportunities. Verse 22, the seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
my version of this is, is your life complex, many demands, many bosses, current systems of success and goals, many things that will not be altered for the work of the gospel. It just says that your life is established and you're only letting the gospel touch it in a few places. Maybe only in name only. But are you, are you willing to let the, the gospel is going to insist on redoing your life. It will insist. And if we're not willing to let the gospel redefine us, rewire us, rebuild us, we will not be transformed. We will be the same. And we might improve our behavior some. You know, might clean some things up. That's good. We're going to add a little guilt and shame for the things that we're not able to quite clean up. In the end, it'll be kind of a sanitized version of who you already were. But the fourth one. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yield 160, 30 times what was sown. Okay. You see... Good soil is a choice. I've often had people ask me, well, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I'm a path dude. That's by choice. Because the new life comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us in those moments. If you want supernatural, all tension, all temptation, all struggle is removed, you're asking for your circumstances to be sanitized so you don't have to make a choice. But that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to get to make the choice. And if you choose to do it in the power of the Spirit, then you can be one who is filled with joy in hardship. You can be one who is renewed in the darkest parts of your life. You can be someone who lights up the world. It is your choice. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to transform the soil of your life. But if you've got your life mapped out, if you've got your story written, if you know who you are, what you are, where you're going, what you're going to do, then you are the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants all of that. I got a call last week, a text actually, encouraging me to apply at American Airlines. I'm beyond hiring age, but they're desperate. And they said, we're hiring people older than you. And this was the statement made. This is the statement made. Perhaps this is the moment. This is the time for your dream to come true. That's killer, isn't it? It's always been a dream of mine to fly for an airline. 
That's not what God is doing with my life. That's not, that's not, that's not my journey. And the dream I'm most interested in is his. You have to look at your soil and say, am I willing to invite the Holy Spirit to make my soil different? For me, I've made joy my number one goal. And in that, I've seen how often I surrender it. And I have become pretty feisty about not letting it go these days. And I love my new life in joy. And it's more important than I thought because I tell you, it is much easier to make good decisions when you're in the joy of the Lord. I mean, decisions become totally different. We got this thing? All right, let's go. We end tonight with a little boy with enormous power. Pull down 13. To lift spirits. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried, I tried to get her away. Couldn't. Jaden is understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die, just anybody. But there's another side to his grief, a side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had a plan to fix it. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. (laughs) Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light shone. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to be 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think you can make that goal? Mm-hmm. I think I can. I think <laughs> I just did. 
Steve Hartman on the road in Savannah, Georgia. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. You know, <clears throat> so often people want the church to put together outreach opportunities. Why aren't we going and doing this? Why aren't we giving away water? I'm thinking, yeah, why aren't you? Here's a six-year-old boy did not need a program. He handed out toys to make people smile. And in the process, he himself experiences joy. It's interesting that he's six years old, and when he looks around, he sees how many people are not smiling. You, if you have the new life, me, have we noticed people aren't smiling? Have you noticed they need something more than a toy? A toy is a great beginning. People need a new life. They need something in their life that would make them crazy enough to run somebody down on the road to give them a hug. That's what they need. And the reason I know they need that is because Jesus said that's what they're needing. And that's what you can do. And if you will stop focusing on your circumstances, and you will stop focusing on your limitations, and you will enter into the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you will allow the Spirit in the moment to do the heavy lifting, you too will be different. You will be changed. And you will experience peace and joy. And you will see other people differently. Instead of us judging them, resenting them, not trusting them, perhaps we will be the one with the dinosaur. Perhaps Jesus has wanted us all along to be the one that steps in front of them with something of a new life. Acts 17, 24 through 28 says, God, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human beings. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Are you reaching out to him? 
when your circumstances are occupying your mind? Are you reaching out to him? When things are unfair, when you're lonely, when you're angry, when you're out of money, when you're out of hope, who are you in that moment? What are you? Are you someone who is experiencing the peace and the joy of the creator God? Are you lighting up your circumstances with the transforming hope? You see, that's the people of the gospel. Would you stand?